Well, we continue to count down these questions that uh, you voted as the things you'd like to sort of ask God or have a conversation about, things you would like to hear addressed from the Bible. And today, we come to the one that you voted as number three overall. I'm kind of getting really excited as we move toward the end of this because the next two weekends, I mean, look out, they're the first and second most requested topics that you voted for. But the question today we grapple with is this, can a saved person lose their salvation? Now, when I saw that voted number three, my mind went here. I began to wonder, now, why would so many people vote that so highly? Something they want to hear about. And I think there's probably all kinds of reasons, right? I think sometimes it's relational reasons. Many of you have people in your life, perhaps it's sons or daughters or uh, brothers, sisters, family members who uh, maybe were brought up in the faith, but they have drifted away. And here's the challenge. You don't see any fruit in their life today. I mean, you, you don't see really any particular evidence that they're truly followers of Jesus. And you go back and you say, I remember that time where at that summer camp or at that Christian event, <clears throat> they prayed to receive Christ. But the problem is, not only have some of them drifted, the truth is some of them have actually said, I'm just not a Christian anymore. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. I reject that. But secondly, I think many of us are interested in this question because of very personal reasons. We ourselves know that we've fallen far short of what God expects of us, right? And we have done things that we're ashamed of, and we wonder where we stand with God. <laughs> I'll never forget a conversation I had several months ago. A woman stopped me out in the lobby. The lobby is the coolest place to have conversations. You know what I mean? And she said, Pastor Rex, Pastor Rex, I'd like to ask you a question. If a person falls into adultery, now I wanted to stop her right there and go, you don't really fall into adultery. Oops, I slipped. Here I am. No, it doesn't really happen that way, but I thought I'd sound like too much of a smart Alex. So I just said, okay. Uh, falls into adultery and she doesn't repent but dies before she repents of that, is she going to hell? And so we've got all these questions like that where we, we have this shame and this guilt and these regrets in our lives and we're concerned about our own shortcomings. And I think there's a third reason that this question can a saved person lose their salvation, got voted so highly, and it, it, it's because we really want biblical answers. You see, some of us grew up in traditions where we, we got a message that, wow, our salvation really hinges heavily, and I mean heavily, upon our own performance. You, you got to be a good person if you're really going to be saved in the end. And you got to be so good, in fact, that your good deeds way outweigh your bad deeds. And so we want to know biblically what the true biblical story is. We're looking for answers. 
And so let's look in the Bible today. That's where we're going in every one of these, seeing what God's Word has to say. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but this topic today is one of those issues, and there are a number of them, where sincere, and I mean fully devoted followers of Jesus for 2,000 years, have disagreed. And I could, I could line up scholars and line up sincere and admirable Christians on, on both sides of this and, and show you all kinds of views, okay? Some would say, no how, no way can you ever lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. There's no other way to look at it. And they'll mention passages like... Uh, uh, Revelation, where it talks about no one can blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. Or they may point to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And so you read that and boy, that sounds Pretty secure, doesn't it? But then there are those on the other side who say, you know what? It is possible in extreme circumstances for one to fall away from grace, to apostatize, to lose their salvation. It doesn't happen inadvertently. It doesn't happen by a mistake. It doesn't happen by getting just caught up in a sin. But through deliberate rejection of Christ... And deliberate practice of sin, where you're thumbing your nose at God, you can lose your salvation. I can line up a whole line of scholars who would also give that view. They would point to passages like Hebrews 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible, this text says, to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and and put him to open shame. So there's a pretty strong argument there, and, and there's so many people in the body of Christ who would say, absolutely it is possible. And those views are certainly represented right here in our own church. Now, there are some people who on this last view, that you can lose it, go into kind of a hokey-pokey theology, actually. Have you ever seen this? Have you guys, have you ever sang the hokey-pokey? You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out and all that stuff. You know the song, I'll Spare You, okay? And they, they see salvation that way. I, uh, I go to church, I repent, I pray, I get my salvation. But oh, I went out and got drunk this week and I lost my salvation. So I go back to church this Sunday, I get all contrite and humble, I pray, I get my salvation back. But then I go out this week and I don't know, I kill a deer out of season or something and lose my salvation again and then I come back and try to get my salvation again and one day I'm in and one day I'm out. Hokey pokey theology. There are people who actually believe that. And so the debate goes on and on 
and on. I just want you to know that what we're talking about today is what you would call a matter of theological opinion. It's what I often call a matter of conviction. In other words, there are solid, and I mean sold out, and scholarly Christians who show all the fruit of the Spirit who land on both sides of this. And you know what? You may not like some of the things I say today. You may not like where I land. That's okay. We'll both be in heaven together. Now, you'll be living in a van down by the river, <laughs> but we'll both be there, okay? <laughs> now, I, I want to do two things today. First, I want to show you biblically why I believe that people who have been genuinely saved, and I mean truly, truly transformed by Jesus Christ, can live with a great deal of assurance and confidence in their salvation, don't have to live with paranoia uh, every day, have I, have I lost it? And, but the second thing I want to do is I think even more important. I, I want to then turn a corner and ask you a question that I think is even more important than the question, can a saved person lose their salvation, okay? So let's jump in. First, <laughs> look at this passage in 1 John chapter 5. It's written by the Apostle John, who's an old man now in his 80s. He was a disciple of Jesus. He's walked with Jesus for decades. And he writes these words. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, I believe every follower of Jesus ought to memorize this verse. I really do. I memorized it as a teenager. And it has brought me tremendous comfort, encouragement, and strength through some, some really tough seasons of life. I write these things. You would believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may not hope so, not, not oh, if I'm good enough, not if I can be strong enough, uh, so that you may know, not that you have temporary life, but eternal life. It seems pretty clear to me that John didn't want his friends going around living in paranoia, living with a sort of defeated spirit. I might not even really have eternal life. I don't know. I guess the only way I can really know is when I die and stand before God. If you don't have assurance today of your own salvation my prayer all week long is that you would walk away from this service with absolute confidence that you know Jesus Christ and that you have eternal life. And later, I'm going to give you a chance to do just that, to pray to God and say, Lord, I want to belong to you and I want assurance and confidence, no doubts about it. That's been my prayer all week. I pray that before this session is over today, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved and you'll know that you have eternal life. So with that said, let me share with you three biblical reasons why I believe that you can have tremendous confidence and assurance in your salvation. One is that our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Real, true, authentic salvation that repents, believes, turns toward Jesus, is trusting in Jesus, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at this passage in Ephesians 1. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing, notice that word, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul says, if you believed, you were sealed. Sealed with what? A word, a promise, a token? No. Sealed with the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. That sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? Now, let let me just see a show of hands. I'd like to, uh, to see... Uh, everybody up there in Saratoga, over in Greenbush and Half Moon at Latham, I just wonder if you would just lift your hand high and kind of proud if you've got a bank account. Would you just lift your hand with me if you've got a bank account? Wow, it's virtually everyone. I'm glad you do. Now, hey, would you just lift your hand up high and proud again if you wish that bank account was about 10 times larger than it is? Could I? Thank you. That's all hands right there. That's, that's all of us, to be sure. Well, when you deposit money in a bank, you know what? That bank has a seal on it. It has a, a, a thing that says FDIC. Have you noticed that? And what that means is that when you deposit money in that bank, it is insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, for up to $250,000. Even if the economy goes wacky, even if there's ups and downs in politics and the economy is like a roller coaster, you're insured up to $250,000. Anything short of nuclear war that just vaporizes everything, you have that assurance by the U.S. government. I don't know how confident that makes you feel, but that's what the FDI See means. Now listen, your salvation is guaranteed not by a deposit from Washington, D.C., but by the God of heaven and earth. And I think that ought to give us tremendous sense of confidence and assurance. Secondly, our salvation is not only sealed by the Holy Spirit, it's secured by the Son and the Father. In Romans 8, it starts off talking about there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 34, it says this, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If you notice it often, the Bible talks about Jesus being at the right hand of God the Father. It's a common phrase. Or seated at the right hand of God the Father. Why is that? Well, when you look back into Jewish history at the priestly liturgical system, and you study what happened in the tabernacle in the wilderness, which is kind of like a portable temple, and later in the temple itself, which was one of the grandest buildings ever built by human hands, and all these expensive golden vessels in it, when you look at what the priest did, they worked these shifts for hours And then an exhausted crew would go off duty because they were doing two things. They were offering sacrifices continually and they were being mediators between the people and God. 
And boy, it was hard work. And you know, an interesting fact to me, there was not a single chair in the tabernacle or in the temple. Why was there no chair for these guys to sit down? Because the people were always sinning. The people just kept on sinning. And so they couldn't stop working, offering sacrifices for those sins. And so an exhausted crew would go off duty, a new crew would come on duty and keep on offering sins, uh, sacrifices for the sins of the people. But here you've got a picture of Jesus Christ as our high priest seated at the right hand of God the Father. Why? Why is he seated? Because the sacrifice has been offered once for all. It's done. It's paid for. And now he's only doing one thing. He's interceding, according to that passage in Romans 8, and according to Hebrews 7.25, which says he always lives to make intercession for us. Our high priest is our mediator between us and God. No wonder Jesus could say in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, they shall <laughs> never perish no one, catch this part, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Notice Jesus said no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, I think it's kind of a cool detail here that all three persons of the Godhead all three persons of the Trinity are involved in your salvation. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're secured by the Son and by the Father that Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. But here's a third reason I think we can live with a great deal of confidence if we've been saved by the grace of God. And that is our salvation is based on grace not works. You see, in, here's what I think in reality happens when we doubt our salvation. What we're really doubting is our ability to be a good person. What we're really wondering is my, my own ability to be, wow, I've seen these bad, dark, this dark side in me. I, I'm not sure I can really be good enough. But we're not saved by our good works, and so we're not kept by our good works. It was grace that saved me. It's grace that will keep me. The classic passage on this, of course, is Ephesians chapter 2. Many of you, I, I hope, have memorized this, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Notice the faith in Jesus activates the grace. It's not the works. It's not what you do. It's not your behavior. Faith activates the grace. When I have a number of people say to me, but pastor, I'm not sure my, I get this, I believe this pastor, but I'm not sure my faith is strong enough. That's why I doubt so much if I'm saved. I'm not sure my faith is strong enough. You remember when the children of Israel were brought out of Egyptian bondage by God? Amazing story. 
And there's so many parallels in that story and our own salvation. When they were set free from bondage, just as we're set free from the bondage of our sin, you remember the time when they were going through the Red Sea, the Egyptians were in pursuit of them. You've watched this, no doubt, in in a movie more, more than once. And there's a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right, and they're literally going through, marching through the sea. What an amazing thing. Now, I imagine that some of those who were marching through were doing it in a very confident way. Some of them were probably trash-talking the Egyptians, to be honest. Eat your heart out, Pharaoh. Our God's got this, man. Look at this. It's awesome. He's got it. But I imagine there were others walking through the same water, experiencing the same salvation from God, who were kind of freaked out by all this, right, frankly. They weren't trash-talking. They didn't feel confident enough. Every step was taken with trepidation. But the amazing thing is, although they went through with very different qualities of faith, they were all saved. Why is that? Because you're not saved by the quality of your faith. You're saved by the object of your faith. Remember, I've told you many times through the years, the most important thing about faith is the object of faith. Not the quality, the object of faith. What's the object? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we understand the free grace of God, the more we understand that salvation has nothing to do with how hard we can work to maintain it, ironically, the more powerful it is in changing our lives. Now, some people say to me, but Pastor Rex, you just don't get it. You don't know the bad things I've done. Man, my life, Pastor, if you knew, I, it is a wreck. I mean, it is, I have done, my life is so messed up. You just don't understand. And I always say, then you don't understand the extent to which Jesus went to save you and to accomplish your salvation. Listen to me, friend. You've never committed a sin that God cannot forgive. I hope you're hearing that loud and clear today. You have never committed a sin that God cannot forgive. And he wants you to know him and know his eternal life. And be secure in that because your salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is secured by the Son and the Father. And it's based on grace, not works. And if you're saved by grace, you'll stay saved by grace. And if you're saved by grace and you (laughs) fall into some kind of sin, you will stay saved by grace. The same grace that saves us, keeps us. And I want every one of you to be able to live your life as a Christian with that kind of assurance and confidence and security. But now I told you at the beginning that I had a couple of goals today. I not only wanted genuine Christians to feel assurance in their salvation, but I, uh, secondly, I, I want to ask you a question that I think is even more important than can a saved person lose their salvation. And here's my question for you. Have you ever really 
been saved? Have you ever really been saved? Now, I just think that's a question that all of us ought to spend a little bit of introspective time thinking about, considering. You know, when the Academy Awards roll around every year, I kind of enjoy watching it. It's quite a show. I mean, guys are decked out in their tuxes, and women wear these spectacular dresses, and it, it goes back and it reminds you of all these amazing accomplishments that went on, and awards are given out, and there's so much elation and joy and probably a good deal of sorrow. But did you know that at the Academy Awards, a lot of the people you see on the screen, did you know this? <coughs> They're just fakers. Fakers. Here's what I mean. Because whenever a star has to get up and go to the bathroom or be out in the lobby talking to an agent or at a press conference or something, it's not good TV to have empty seats. And so literally at the Academy Awards, every single year, there are men and women who are trained seat fillers. This is the truth. I'm not making this up. And whenever a star needs to go, they have a seat filler come in and fill their seat. You'll see very few empty seats at the Academy Awards. Bad TV. And so these seat fillers have been trained to smile or to look sad at the appropriate time or to clap with ecstasy when a certain award is given to someone. But they're just faking. I wonder sometimes... I really do. If there are people at Grace Fellowship who just kind of come and fill a seat, say the right words, sing the songs, clap at the right times, pray on cue, smile, say they follow Jesus but have never really <coughs> been personally transformed. They've never genuinely even started a relationship with Jesus Christ. I really do. I get concern that some of you are falsely allured that you're in Christ when actually you're just maybe near Christ. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So before we conclude today, I, I'm going to give every single one of you the opportunity to make absolutely certain that you've been saved. You say, well, pastor, how could I possibly ever evaluate that? Well, I want to I give you three questions that I, I hope will be helpful. I think they're very legitimate questions to ask as you just do a little bit of introspection. First of all, if your salvation has never really changed you, has it ever really saved you? Now, I'll admit, that's a sobering question, isn't it? Sometimes we... We look at someone who once claimed to be following Christ and now they've kind of drifted or fallen away or maybe even they've said, look, I'm not a Christian anymore. Quit asking me about that. And we wonder, how, how could that be? Because we know how we feel about Christ, right? We, know, we, we, we scratch our heads and go, how could, anybody, how could anybody ever know the Lord and just walk away, right? And so it, it kind of confuses us and trips us up. Do you know there were people in the first century who had those same questions? There were folks living in the first century. Christianity is a very new thing. It's only been going a few decades. The Lord was on the earth. He, 
He died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to God the Father. And, and it's all kind of new. There's still people alive who remember seeing the living Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And yet there were folks who were kind of walking away and they're watching their loved ones kind of drift away. And John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, he addresses that situation. Now look at what he says. <clears throat> they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Wow. John says, look, they left, but they never really in the first place truly belonged in this family. They never really knew Christ. So I ask you to simply ask yourself if your salvation has never really changed you, has it ever really saved you? Now, let me be quick to add some caveats, all right? Uh, this does not mean there will not be times in your life of spiritual drifting. This does not mean there will not be seasons in your life where you backslide for a while. The Apostle Paul certainly struggled with sin. You remember the passage in Romans 7? The things I don't want to do, I do. Things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's the Apostle Paul. He struggled. We all do. But if along the way, this is what I'm saying, nowhere... In no way, at no time, has there ever been any real change or transformation in your life. I think it's a fair question to wrestle with. If your salvation has never really changed you, has it ever really saved you? Here's a second question to assess if you've ever really been saved. Has there been any indication of fruit or what you could call good works in your life. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor, time out. I thought you said we're not saved by our good works. We're saved by grace. You are absolutely right. We are saved by grace through faith. In fact, just to reemphasize that, if you'll allow me, let's look at that one more time just to make sure we got that. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I hope that is clear. You are not saved by your works. But you know, there's a lot of people who stop reading right there and they never read the next verse. Next verse is amazing. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Please don't ever get that backwards. Because if you ever start thinking you're saved by good works for faith in order to activate grace, then you're going to be really sadly mistaken about that. Good works does not save anyone, but it sure is a pretty powerful authenticator in our lives that the work of Jesus is going on, that it's genuine, and true faith will always evidence 
in some kind of fruit. James says in James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, faith that doesn't change you, that doesn't have some good works associated with it, that's just a delusion. Just a delusion. If there's no fruit, no indication of good works, ever, (laughs) you might need to ask yourself if you're really saved. Now, let let me just parenthetically here before we quickly move on, give a word of caution. Because if you're not careful, you're going to be tempted to look at somebody's life, a little microcosm, a little snapshot of their life, and you're going to go, you know what? I don't think they're really saved. I don't, if they were really saved, they wouldn't talk like that. I just know it. You know what I heard? I heard he got drunk last week. If he were really a Christian, that would never happen. You know what? I heard she smokes pot. I just, I, just, I just don't think they're saved. Be careful. Be careful. You can look at one snapshot, one chapter of a person's life, and think you can determine who's in and who's out. Don't do that. That's not your job. I, I don't have some measuring stick where I can be a salvation appraiser of people. You know why? Because I don't have any nail scars in my hands. It's only, hear this, it's only the one with nail scars who can be a salvation appraiser and determine ultimately who's in and who's out. And that's not me. So I can't evaluate you. You can't evaluate me and appraise my salvation Because we're not the judge on that. But we should all ask ourselves this question. Well, there's one other good authenticator, I think, and I want to leave you with this today. Have you ever obeyed the first thing Jesus asked you to do? Just asking it as a question. Have you ever done that? Because once you've put your faith in Jesus, you take your first step as a follower of Jesus by following him in water baptism. And you identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus as he rose from the dead. You say, Rex, are you saying that baptism saves me? Absolutely not. Jesus saves you by grace through faith. But, but, if you're unwilling to do the very first thing that Jesus asked you to do, I think you just ought to ask yourself, have I really ever been saved? Now, maybe you never had the opportunity to be baptized, and that's why you weren't, or maybe you never had anyone explain to you the importance of it. But water baptism was so important to Jesus, apparently, that he literally did that before he kicked off his public ministry. That was the first thing he did. His final instructions to his followers were to go into the world, all the world, make disciples. And the first part of that, that, in addition to teaching them all the things I've instructed you, was to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and that became the pattern of the early church, by the way. On the day of Pentecost, as the church launched... 3,000 people trusted Christ by faith and received his grace 
and forgiveness. And guess what? 3,000 people were baptized that day. Later in Acts chapter 8, you read about this Ethiopian nobleman who heard the gospel through Philip, and they came to water, and he said, what hinders me? And he was baptized that day. Later in chapter 10, Cornelius and his whole household received the gospel, believed on Jesus, and they were baptized that day. You can read them yourself. There are nine conversion stories in the book of Acts, and all of them begin with someone receiving the grace of God by faith, and they all end with that person or persons being baptized. And it happened quickly. 1 John 5, 3 say, says, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. This is all I'm saying. All I'm saying, friends, is if you really believe Jesus died an excruciating death on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven, and if you really believe that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave and that he offers you a home in heaven simply by trusting in what he's done for you and yet you refuse to do the very first thing he wants you to do, I've got to tell you, that math just doesn't compute for me. I, just, I, I can't understand that math. If we love Christ, we, we want to do what he says to do. So what I'm asking you is, is simply this. Have you ever made a choice as a believer to be baptized? Important. Important. Not, not did your, your family have you baptized. Not, not was a bunch of people, you know, jumping in the tank and you kind of got caught up in, in, in the peer pressure of it all. And I'm asking, have you ever personally as a believer, made your own volitional choice to express your faith in Christ that way. Friends, I'm saying to you, you don't have to live with a hope so, I might, maybe, if I'm good enough, kind of salvation. You can really know today that you're saved. And so here's what we're going to do. I, I, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus Christ by faith. If you've never done that. Or if you have doubts about that. If you, you wonder, have I ever really done that? And ask God, ask God to save you and give you assurance of that salvation. Are you ready to pray? Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I would ask you to pray it silently right where you are. And simply to say by praying this prayer, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Let's pray. Just pray this prayer, phrase by phrase, silently, right where you are. Oh God, I know that I am a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. For that once for all sacrifice. Please forgive my sin. Adopt me into your family and begin to change me from the inside out. I don't want to live with doubt about whether I'm saved. Fill my heart, Lord, 
with the assurance that can come only from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, I pray for all those who've invited you to be Savior, Lord of their life. Seal them by the Holy Spirit. Secure them by the Son and the Father. And keep them living a life of confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer uh, to the, tonight, if you accept